can be seated. How about the goodness of God, right, church? How about the goodness of God, right, church? Amen. Well, hey, our scripture reading for today is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. Without it, Lord, I'd be lost. Without it, Lord, I would be, I wouldn't be found, Lord. And I thank you that you have always been faithful in my life. And Lord, since your faithfulness hasn't stopped in my life, I want to be faithful towards you as well. And I pray that your power would rest on each and every one of us today. And we would have that same drive and that same mindset throughout our week and throughout our lives that we would want to live faithfully to you because of the grace that you have given to us. Let your goodness flow in us, but also flow through us as well. Would you change our hearts? Would you renew our minds to something greater? Let your peace rest on us. Let your love and your joy and all of the great things that you do in our lives rest in us but also let us live it out as well. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's perfect name is who we pray. Amen, amen. Hey, let's give it up for the worship team, y'all. Man, look, I was about to speak in tongues over there. I was like, oh, oh. But then Chad would have got mad at me. But anyway, so glad to have you guys here with us. Good morning, Christ Church. Thank you guys for being here with us. For those who are watching online, thank you for our online family for being here as well. My name is Javon. Happy one of the pastors. I am not Chet's uncle. Don't listen to that crazy man. I am not Chet's uncle, okay? But I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and I'm excited to continue in our series that we've been in, uh, gentleness. Chet figured, listen, he's not really gentle. Javon's gentle, so let Javon preach about it. You know what I'm saying? I got all the experience in my life, so I got, I got all the, 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 the content for today. But before I jump into the message, I also want to just talk about Christmas. As Chet talked about during announcements, you know, man, statistics prove that people are more open to church during the holiday season. I don't know if you guys know that. Statistics show that. It's proven that people are more, more open to church, especially unchurched people, people who are far from God will be more open to church during the holiday season. So what am I saying? I, I guess what I'm saying is, what would it look like for you to invite one person to church? That one person, your colleague, your family member, or whoever it may be, what would it look like if you were to invite somebody to come on out and join us for either our Christmas Eve services or even just our Christmas service? Whatever it may be, uh, just invite somebody. It would be a beautiful and perfect time for them uh, to join us. But today, we're getting, as I said, we're continuing gentleness series. But before I uh, jump into it, I just want to take you back to 2008. It's 2008. It's my senior year in high school. Now, I'm an athlete, and, and one thing that's very important for athletes in their senior year is scholarships. You know, I played basketball, I played football, but I was looking for a football scholarship. I, I needed it because the homeboy didn't have no money to, to pay for college in the first place. So let me, let me get a scholarship to, so I can be able to go and be able to play. And my, my one friend got an offer to this school, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try to get there as well too. But lo and behold, I didn't get the offer that I wanted to. I was very upset, and I was kind of confused, and I felt embarrassed. I said to myself, wait, wait a minute. Javon, you're really good at what you do. 
I mean, like, you're really good at what you do. You're, like, fast and strong, and you got the highlights and all this stuff. Why didn't they give me a scholarship? And so I went to ask the coach. I said, hey, coach, you know, what happened? I mean, I'm your best player on the field. I mean, you should see me. I know you see me. I'm just that good. What happened? And you know what he said? He said, Javon, you got all the talents in the world. You got all the skills in the world. Man, you got natural talent. Man, you got so much uh, um, uh, potential in your life. But there's one thing you lack. He said, you lack good character. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> I was ready to slap the man. You know, I was ready to slap the man. I was like, you know what? You, the players don't even like you. I don't like you. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but little did I know, little did I realize just uh, almost 20 years later, I realized that's very true in my life. That the, the talents that I try to rely on, the giftedness that I have, the charisma that I love to just show out. But there's one thing that actually matters, and there's one thing that is real in our lives that we need to continuously give focus to, and that's our character. Character will take you further. Talents will just keep you where you need to be. You see what I'm saying with that? See, in the scriptures, it actually teaches us that our character, that who we are, that who we're becoming is the most important thing. Because I want you to realize this. God is more concerned about who you are becoming. God is more concerned about your character. God is more concerned about the quality of life that you're living. See, a lot of people, they, talk, they try to say that God's all about this and all about that. And they say all these wrong things. But there's one thing that's true. God cares about who you are actually becoming. The greatest value in life is not what you get. It's not just what you achieve. It's not just success. But the greatest value of life is who you are becoming. Your character and how you're growing and, and, and all those things and how you are treating one another, growing into a godly, Christ-like character. God says that's the most important thing that I want for your life. So what does that make us do? That makes us focus on ourselves and start focusing on everybody else. That makes us to, to say to ourselves, listen, I got to give way to my own emotions, to my own feelings, and how I'm reacting and what's going on and how I'm processing. Therefore, I need to start worrying about me and start worrying about everything else. It, it, it changes the game in our lives. And I believe the Apostle Paul wants us to, to carry that same weight in our lives, that we would, we would give more focus on who we are becoming rather than what we do. That makes sense? That we would give more focus on the character qualities that we're growing, the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to talk about in just a little bit, that we would grow in that more and more in our lives. So let's read it one more time. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 22 to 25. One of my favorite passages in Scripture because it's a passage that confronts me. It's a passage that convicts me. It's a passage that I have to go to this measure. Where am I at? And nine times out of ten, let me, let me just be honest, Ten times out of ten, when I look at this, I'm saying, I'm failing in this, I'm failing in that, I'm failing in this. Oh, my gosh, I suck at that one. I'm, I'm just looking at every single time. But that's the reason why this passage is so important, because it's a reminder of where our, 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 our qualities and our characters and how we're called to grow. So let's look at it one more time. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 25. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience. Some of us are not that patient. I've, you guys know about my traffic issues. Soon as I get on 480, it's terrible. I'm just saying words that I can't say up here. Chat will fire me. <laughs> Patience. I'm failing in that category. 
kindness. I'm not that kind because I don't get my way half the time. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and one thing that I know for sure that is in my life, self-control. Self-control. And so today, what I, what I want you to know is God's greatest purpose for your life, listen to this, God's greatest purpose for your life is to bring radical change. It's to bring radical change. It's to get you from one state to another in your character. It's to get you so that you can represent the kingdom well, so that you can be influential in your home, at your job, wherever God may place you. The, the one thing that's, that's purposeful in, God, in your life for God is changing you. And let's be honest today, church. Can we just be honest before we break down the passage? We need to change. But see, some of us, we like to say, well, others need to change. <laughs> Am I right? We say to ourselves, my boss needs to change. I'm doing everything perfect because I'm perfect and I do everything right. Or, or we may say to ourselves, my spouse needs to change. Uh-oh, yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh-oh. I, I hit a nerve. My, my parents, my family needs to change. But, but really, the one thing God wants to change is not so much always your circumstances. It's not so much always um, um, uh, the thing that you ask in your life. But the one thing God wants to change is your character. I think it's too close to my beard. Is your character. Hey, guys, it took me a long time to grow this beard, all right? All right? <laughs> Is the one thing God wants to grow is your character. So let's look at the Galatians 5. But before we jump, uh, break it down, I just want to explain what's going on in this, this, this book and then this chapter and whatnot. So Galatians is what we would call a problem-solving letter. Why would we call it that? Because there's a lot of problems going on in this church. The Apostle Paul, who planted and started this church, you know, at once they were all believing and trusting God and living out their faith and things were going well until... There's these guys called the Judaizers that came in that, 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 that told them that, hey, trusting in Jesus is great, but you also must do this. So what was it doing? It was robbing the, the Galatian church of the freedom that Christ has purchased for us in our lives. And it was telling them, in order for God to like me, I must do this. They were saying, hey, you got to follow the law. Now, when he says the law, that he means the Mosaic law. And, and, and the Judaizers were coming in, and they were saying, hey, Galatians Church, Jesus is great, but follow the law too. Hey, Jesus is great, and do this too so that God can like you, so that God can uh, uh, justify you. This is what we call the, the doctrine of justification, which means this. Uh, we are made right by Christ. We are made right in God's image, in God's eyes because of Christ, not because of our performance. Listen, I know we're performance-driven people, but there's one thing to receive God's love. It's not based off what you do, but it's based off what Christ has done for you. That's what justification means, that, 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 that we are made right with God. God sees us as holy and blameless, not because you're perfect, boo-boo. Not, not because you tell everybody the truth. It's all because of the work of Christ. But what happened was that the Galatian church, they were missing all of that. So Paul had to come in, and he had to tell them, hey, listen, guys, if you keep, keep doing this, you're going to continuously go backwards. That's one thing that's a problem in my, my life, right, is that, man, I'll make some progress, but then I start to do this. I, I'll do one thing right, and then 20 minutes later, I'm cussing out somebody. Y'all laugh because y'all done that before. 
Right? He says, you guys are going backwards. Let me give you the truth. Let me give you the reality of what this all means. So now Paul is in this section where now he's talking about sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? All that means is that when you receive Christ, when you believe in Jesus, those who say, man, I believe in the work of Christ. I believe in what he did on the cross. I believe not only what he did on the cross, but also I believe that he rose for me. Those who believe it, now, now the, the, the scriptures say that, that now God is working through you, right? Philippians uh, 1, 6, it says, for he who began a work in you. Now, what does this work mean? This work means God is changing you because God doesn't just save you. He changes you too. He says, hey, listen, I, I brought you back. I received you. You're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's awesome. But guess what? You got some work to do. You got some work to do. So when you come to Christ, know this, that now Christ wants to bring newness in your life. God didn't die. Christ didn't die for you so you can stay who you are so that you can change and become all that he wants you to become. That make sense? So this is what Paul is trying to say. So now he says, but the fruits of the Spirit. So let's look at this first word in verse 22. He says this, but. I never thought that I'd be preaching about but today. He says, but, this is what we call a contrasting word, very similar to like therefore or so then or as to or whatever it may be. Paul is continuing what he spoke about previously. Well, what did Paul talk about previously? Before get, Paul gets to the place of, uh, to the point of change and, and all the sanctification things, Paul talked about this in verse 16 to 18. It says this, verse 16 to 18, chapter 5. There we go. He says this, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, remember, flesh is not your skin. When, when you come to Christ, yeah, you, you're given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells and lives in you, but you also have this thing called an imperfect nature. Your flesh is that, is that, that place, is that thing in, your, in you that wants to go against God. We all have, have that in some way in our lives. God would say, do this. But our flesh will say no. God would say, walk this way. Forgive. Love. Do all of this. But our flesh says the opposite. Then he moves on in verse 17. This is what he says. He says this. The desires of the flesh, our imperfect nature, it's against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So this is what, this is what, what, what Paul is saying. Everyone, inwardly, we all have a battle. That's what he says. As followers of Christ, we have this battle. We have this skill. We, we have this spirit that wants to lead us into God's ways, but then we have our flesh that wants to lead us into our ways. The spirit says, hey, you need to do this, and we know it's right. But guess what? Our pride and our ego and bitterness begins to creep up, and therefore we reject all of God's ways. So each and, everyone, each and every one of us has a struggle in this house today. We all have something that we're battling with. We know we shouldn't do it, but we do it anyway. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. He says, the good I want to do, I don't have the ability to carry it out. He says, I know the good. He says, I want to change. I want to be different. I want to take on newness. But guess what? My flesh wants me to go backwards. My flesh wants me to go backwards and take on the things which God had saved me from. But for some reason, I keep returning back to them. 
So Paul talks, talks about this idea that we all have this inner battle. He says, but, so right, so, so therefore, he's coming from what he said early on. Then he says, but the fruits of the Spirit. Now, this idea of fruit, he, he gets it from Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, a, 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 a good tree can't bear good fruit. You know, I'm saying, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad food, but bad fruit. It's this idea of growth. It's an idea of producing. Now, what is producing? All the qualities Paul talked about. Love, joy, peace, kindness, uh, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the work of what the Spirit wants to produce in us. But a lot of us, again, like I said, because of our flesh, we want to do the opposite. But the Spirit wants you and I to grow in all these qualities. Now, let's break down these qualities real quick before we jump to the next thing. These qualities, let's talk about the first one, love. Now, love in the Greek, there's, there's four ways of how you can explain love, right? There's agape love, there's storge love, there's eros love, there's uh, phileo love. There's all different ways of how you love, right? Like, for instance, I love Chipotle, but I love my wife, too. Those are different loves, right? I hope they are, but they're different loves, right? There's, there's different ways of how you explain it. But in the English, we only have one word for, for love, and that's love, right? But this love Paul is talking about, it's called agape love. Now, what is the agape love? It's the love God shows humanity. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that is, that is uh, sacrificial. It's a love that is concerned with serving others. Now, now this love that, that, uh, that God wants us to grow in, it first has to be received from him first. We can't love others until God is loving us. That makes sense? We can't love others better until God's love is pouring into us more. So Paul says one of the things you need to grow in, one of the things that the Spirit wants you to change into is that you would continuously love others. You would continuously love your enemies. You would love the person at work that gets on your nerves. You will love that family member that, that, that keeps messing everything up during the holidays. We all have that person in our lives. Maybe you're that person. But anyway, but anyway... Paul says, love is one of the qualities that the Holy Spirit wants you to grow in. It's one of the things that you need to take on. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 13, he says this, they will know you are my disciple by the way that you what? Love. Love. And I love that Paul starts with, with this virtue. Because if you can't love, you can't do all the other things. Am I right? You can't love, you can't show gentleness. You can't love, you can't show patience. You can't love, you cannot show a gentleness and all those things. So Paul is purposeful when he starts with this amazing virtue. This is the one thing you need to increase in your life. Love. Love others when you don't agree with them. Because we live in a society that if you don't agree with me, I'm going to cancel you. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to blast you on social media. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to make the whole world know that you're an idiot. That, that's, that, that's the world that we live in. But God calls us to something different. He calls us to love better. Why? Because of his love that he's poured into us. Then he talks about this next thing. He says joy. Now, joy is another way to say happiness, 
right? Joy is the, the one thing that we all want in our lives. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be joyless. I hope you don't. If you do, then we're going to pray for you. Nobody wakes up and says, today, I want today to suck. I, I don't want to be happy today. Nobody says that. Joy is the, is the quality that we all long for. This is why we get the jobs that we get. This is why we date the people that we date or marry or we have kids. We all want joy. But this joy is a joy that is not based off circumstances. Because you and I, for us to be happy, things have to be in order. Or, like, or, or, or at least we like to think so. We say to ourselves, in order for me to be happy, they got to like me. In order for me to be happy, I got to get this promotion. In order for me to, to have joy, I got to have X, Y, and Z. But, but Paul talks about a greater joy, a joy that gives life, a joy that gives freedom. And this joy is a joy that's based on not what you get, but who God is. You see the difference? This joy is not based off, man, me getting something from people, but what I get from God. This joy is based off God's promises. This joy is based off God's word. This joy is based off what God said in my life. But if I can be honest, because I'm such a circumstantial person, I'm very joyless. As I said, I have traffic issues. Somebody cuts me off. I'm not happy. But there, because what I'm trying to say is you and I, we allow so many things to take our joy. We allow so many things to take our joy. We allow so many people to take our joy. If somebody's unhappy with me, then I'm going to live like this, and I'm going to be sad, and I'm going to be sorrowful, and nothing's good is going to happen in my life. But Paul says there's a better way. Jesus says there's a better way. Matter of fact, Jesus says this. This joy that I give you is a joy the world can't take from you. I don't know about you, but I need this joy more. I need to grow in this quality. I need to stop allowing things to mess with my joy. You know what, you know what else I need to start, uh, start growing in? What Paul says next, peace. Because peace, we think, again, like joy, peace, we think that, man, as, 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 for me to be in peace, I got I to gotta have all things correct. Everything's got to be in the world. Everything's got to be perfect. But this is a peace that comes from inner confidence. Why can I be at peace even though the world is hostile? Why can I be at peace even though my family, they're all jacked up? Why can I be at peace even though I keep going back to the things that I want to do? Paul says this peace is a peace like joy that's not dependent on what's going on around you, but the God that's above you. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ability to be still. It's the ability to not lash out. It's the ability to say, you know what? God's got this. You, you know what? I don't need to respond in a negative way because God is making a way. God is making a way. It's this opportunity to be, to be peaceful. So notice that love, joy, and peace sets up the next three, right? Now, when love, joy, and peace is practiced, the next three become evident in our lives. Look at what he says. He says, patience. Y'all, I'm not patient. I want my son to do one thing. You want to know the reason why I'm not patient? Because I try to control others. I saw a lot of head shaking over there. The one reason why I'm not patient is because I try to control others. My son, um, 
He likes to do this thing called take off his diaper and run around naked. He's been doing it for like a year, y'all. Like, it's disturbing now. Like, I'm thinking about seeing a psychiatrist now for him. Like, it's just bad, right? And the reason why I get frustrated, like, when he first did it, like, it's cute. Like, oh, he did it. Uh, now it's like, all right, bro, like, you're three years old. Like, come on, relax now. But, but the reason why I get so frustrated because he's not doing what I want him to do, right? As parents, we tend to do this. When our kids don't do what we tell them to do, we get mad. We get angry. And we lack patience. And when they screw up and when they fall short, oh, we get even more upset. But Paul says this patience comes from when you love, when you have joy. You can't, be, you can't show patience when you don't have joy. You can't show patience when you're not at, when, when, if you're not at peace. This patience is a patience that, that we show to others. It's a patience that's, that's the ability to endure. It's, a, it's able to remain. We're able to be present. We have uh, the ability to trust God's plan. It's the ability to not be judgmental or complaining. And Lord knows I love to complain. I love complaining like I love brownies. It's just good. Thank you, Tony. The only Christian in the room, you're going to have it with me. But anyway, I love to complain. I love to just talk behind people's back, right? I love to do that. But Paul says that patience is something that must be um, practiced and exercised, but it can't be practiced unless love, joy, and peace is present. Then he says the next thing, kindness. Kindness is the ability to, to have genuine care for someone, to, 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 again, not be judgmental, to be apathetic, to be gracious, to be gracious. Now, why is kindness practiced? Well, kindness and graciousness is practiced. Why? Because God has been kind and gracious to us. See, a lot of us, we're so quick to shoot down people when they fail without realizing God didn't shoot us down when we failed. See, a lot of us, we're, we'll, say, we'll say to ourselves, well, because the way they're treating me, I'm going to exclude them from my life. And not only am I going to exclude them from my life, but I'm also going to talk crap behind their back. And, and, and not only am I going to have these bad thoughts about this person, I'm going to be angry at me. But sometimes i got to step back and say, well, God's been kind in my life. See, the true Christian practice is this. We do to others because of what God did to us. Did you see that? We do to others. We show grace. We show patience because of God has been gracious, listen, and patient with us. Listen, maybe you're like me. You made a lot of dumb mistakes. Some of you, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, some of you that you have what you have because of the kindness of God. Not because you're so intellectual, because you're so experiential, because you're just so smart, and everybody loves you, but it's because of God's kindness towards your life. So this kindness is something that is uh, uh, given because it's something that we re receive. And then he talks about goodness. Goodness is, is kindness in action. It's the ability to give. It's, it's the ability to, to be generous. It's the ability to, 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 to say, hey, I see that, that, you're, that you're lacking something, so therefore I'm going to go to the point where I'm going to help you. Then he goes on with the next three. Now, the next three can't be practiced without the first six. Am I right? The next three can't be evident in our lives 
without the first six. It all works together. Love, joy, peace, all the way to faithfulness. It's the ability to be honest. It's the ability to be trustworthy. It's the ability that people can look at you and say, man, this person I can rely on. But if I be honest, some of us have made so many uh, uh, um, faults in our lives where our reliability is shot. Reliability is shot. And God wants you and I to grow in a place where people can count on us. People can count on us to be there, to show up, to be present, to be helpful. This idea of faithfulness. And then he says, gentleness. Gentleness is, is not the desire to be impressive. Now, I'm an Enneagram 3, Chet says. And my problem in my life is I try to be impressive. And when I'm not impressive, I'll try to show myself to be impressive. But gentleness says to himself, I don't need to be impressive, but rather I'm willing to be humble. I'm willing to, 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 to lay myself down. I'm willing and able to see other people's perspective. That's what gentleness means. Because one thing we get stuck is our own ways. Wives, can I get an amen? One thing, we get stuck in our own stubbornness. We get stuck in our own situations, and we say to ourselves, well, I'm not willing to look at your perspective. I'm not willing to look at yours because I'm right. But gentleness says, listen, I'm willing to say, you know what? There's another hand in this, and maybe I need to look at that. That's what gentleness says. There's, there's another way to look at this. I'm looking at this one way, but I'm willing to humble myself and look at everybody else's way. Because maybe I'm wrong. And I don't like to prove, I don't like to admit that, y'all. Because I want to be right. But gentleness says, listen, I'll, I, if I'm wrong, prove to me I'm wrong. I'm open to it. And then Paul says this last part. This part is awesome. This part, if you've been sleeping during the sermon, wake up for this one. Self-control. Self-control. It's the idea of restraint. It's this idea of saying, I'm not going to be so emotional, but rather I'm going to acknowledge what's going on in me, but I'm going to, be, I'm going to have the control to not let it out of me. Sure, I'm angry. Sure, I'm upset, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm frustrated, but I'm not, I'm not going to show it. But rather, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain myself in a way that, that I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be forceful. But if I can be honest in my life, there's moments where I lack self-control. There's moments where pride and ego and anger and bitterness begins to build up more and more within me. And it begins to control me. And Paul says self-control is the way that you grow. You know what self-control is also? What self-control is? Chad talked about it last week. And it's in this book that I've been reading called Healing the Addictive Personality. I love this book. I recommend it to you. Dr. Lee Polimsky is his name. And he says that people who, are, who lack self-control, they tend to respond through emotion and not logic. And he says, he says, the logical response is always the best response. It's saying to itself, hey, listen, I'm feeling this way. But here's the thing. I want to communicate the facts. Because you can only communicate the facts when you have self-control. When you, when you respond with logic, but when we respond with emotion, the opposite happens. The opposite happens. We respond with speculation. You see that? 
We respond with speculation. I think, you know what? You, you ever had an uh, a argument with somebody and you told them what they said and they said, I never said that. But you took it that way? Like when my wife comes home and she sees the house isn't clean and she says, why isn't the house clean? Like, it'd be nice to come home to a clean house. I'll be like, am I a bad husband? Do I suck as being a husband? And my wife's like, I didn't tell you that. That's not what I said, right? But my emotion at that point rose up, and therefore, I responded out of emotion, not logic. Does that make sense? I responded emotionally. I responded out of hurt, and that's the opposite of self-control. Self-control is when you're always defensive. We always got to feel like you got to guard and protect you. You always got to feel like, you know, you don't want to look bad. And again, as, as I'm in Enneagram 3, I don't want to look bad. I want to be impressive. The last thing I want you to see is my failures. So I'll do anything and everything to protect me. But therefore, I lack self-control. I tend to hurt people, as we all do as well, too, because we don't have this idea that, man, our emotion is a good place to process pain and frustration, but it's not a great way to respond. It's not a great way to respond. And Paul says that self-control is, is this thing where you have the ability to wrestle with ego and pride and bitterness and slander and all these things. But here's the thing. I love what Paul says. you got to learn how to control self, not others. Paul says you got to learn how to control yourself rather than things. As a matter of fact, what I love about uh, uh, this book that I'm reading, Dr. Lee uh, Polemsky, he says this. He says, the tragic issue with trauma that creates two type of control methods. So he says when we, when we have pain in our lives, when we have frustration, when other people hurt us, when other people disrespect us or whatever it may be, this is what he says. The tragic issue with trauma that it creates two type of control methods. Number one, the pain of the past has left you to try to control others and the outcome. So because you've been hurt, because you've been disrespected, because you have gone through trauma, you now say to yourself, I don't ever want to feel that ever again. I don't ever want to have that moment, so therefore I'm going to try to control everybody else. Therefore, I'm going to try to control my outcomes and make sure I get my way, not knowing that this pursuit is an easy way to trample and to run over others. That's what it says. And then he says this next part is pretty interesting. The pain of the past has left you powerless, and you give control to others and you become less responsible. So he means this, that, that, that because of what we go through, we, we, we say to ourselves, I can't make decisions. People have to make decisions for me. Because of my pain and because of all this, you know, I, I, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to fall short. I'm afraid to, to do all these things. But, but he says this, and I believe Paul says this as well, that in order to beat that, you got to know how to control the lies that you tell yourself. Because we all tell ourselves a lot of lies, right? We all tell ourselves what we aren't, what we can't do, what we're not, how we can't achieve, how we can't do anything. But Paul gives us a better way. Paul says, this is what self-control says. Self-control says, I can recognize the lies and I can live by the truth. Self-control is, I can recognize what isn't true, and I can start living by what is true. And you know what's true? God is for me. You know what is true? God is with me. You know what is true? God is before me. 
You know what is true? God loves me. This is what Paul says. So self-control is more than just controlling anger. It's also about controlling what isn't true in your life and start living by more what is true. Start living by what is real and reality in your life. This is what Paul says. So church, this is my, this is my, 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 my prayer for you, is that you and I will start controlling the emotions and the falsehood that flows through us. That we will start recognizing, you know what? I'm feeling this, but guess what? Because it's a feeling doesn't make it true. But because I'm feeling this doesn't mean I need to live by this. Because I'm feeling this doesn't mean I need to be controlled by this. Because I'm feeling this doesn't mean I just need to respond from this place. No, Paul says, and God wants you and I to learn to self-control, to have self-control and come from a place of truth. Because that's the only logical way. Truth is the only logical way. And what if you and I had more and more of that in our lives? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this reminder. I thank you for this, this awesome text that reminds each and every one of us that we are to live with the control that comes from your spirit, from your purpose, from your power. So, Lord, I pray that today that we would walk out different than how we came in and we would learn the truth about what it looks like to live in total control of ourselves. That we would be at peace and have love and joy and kindness and goodness and patience and all of these wonderful fruits only so that we can have more self-control in our lives. I thank you and I love you. I pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.